was saying beforehand, uh, I, I was rewatching People Under the Stairs uh, this past weekend. And I still, we did, oh, nice, we, did, we did Wes Craven a few years ago. And like, I still have like a, a love for that man and his work. You know what I mean? Like, I think, oh yeah. I think every time we do those director months or episodes, like I always have, I always like come away with the, a, a bigger appreciation for the director we cover. I think, I think that way a lot about like Tony Scott recently with everyone kind of talking, he's been kind of mm-hmm. popping back up a little bit, I think. And like with the, the man of steel thing and a few other things popping up. And like, I just, I'm, I, I miss the guy. I miss, mm. I miss his films, but like, it's, it's funny just how, like, again, when we dive back into those kind of full month things, um, how much you can discover about someone. Yeah. Uh, there was a big, there's a big showing of the abyss recently here in LA, uh, beyond fest, like a sellout of the abyss. And I was just like, Good job. Good job. Good job. Because I, I really like The Abyss. I, I think Cameron, again, Cameron and Tony Scott are two of, like, I think the most influential action directors out there. And I think Tony Scott is just not talked about enough. And Cameron's kind of life as directing Avatar and Titanic have, like, uh, mm-hmm. eclipsed what he was doing before in a way. Well, speaking of our other director months, uh, I just saw that uh, they just announced a 4K point break. So, Oh, hell yeah. God. Big, uh, big release. I mean, I know we've gotten a few like, I feel like we've gotten a few Peter Weir things of late. Um, yes. Uh, Criterion's doing. No, no, no. It's Arrow. Arrow's doing a big witness. Oh, um, that's gonna be a great. 4K release with like a bunch of yeah, with like a poster and a bunch of supplementals. That's so. that's gonna be great. Um, is there a director? I mean, I, I know we're not doing these months right, or we're not doing a month right now, but like, is there a director you've been kind of looking at a lot lately? So I feel like now with it's funny now with uh, SAG been on strike and then WGA was has been on strike. A lot of the press tour stuff has been directors. Mm, is the yeah. thing. And like, so there's a, yeah, there's a bigger, there's a big reevaluation of a lot of different people. It feels like right now. I mean, I just finished this. This is going to be a tough one because I like, there's some directors that I keep like ranked lists for yeah. on Letterboxd. And I just finished like all four of the new Wes Anderson's. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, where, how do I rank these, these four films that I just watched by him into uh, everything else that exists? But I actually, I really enjoyed all of those. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I was very, very impressed uh by all of them i think i i always loved they're they're all short adaptations of road doll short stories and i loved road doll short stories when i was a kid i specifically like like there was there were these two sections of the library like i was allowed in the kids section Mm -hmm. and then when i got a little bit older i was allowed in like the young adult section and somebody at my library had like misfiled like all the road doll books into like the like kids and young adult section so i was i was just grabbing his short story collections off the shelves and taking them home and like most of them were about murder um <laughs> like that very famous it was adapted into a hitchcock uh variety hour mm. or you know whatever the hitchcock hey, hey, show alfred hitchcock hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah alfred hitchcock presents uh, it was yeah yeah it was adapted into an episode for that but the one where the wife like murders her husband with a leg of lamb and then like cooks it and feeds it to the um to the detectives when they come uh wow. that was one of his but um so so they they were always like his his adult stuff was was very kind of dark and twisted i mean as was i think people can attest to a lot of his kid stuff but yeah um 
it's been really interesting watching Anderson do these because I feel like after Fantastic Mr. Fox, people were like, oh, what a great matchup, like Rodol and, and Anderson. And, and so, so like a couple of these have some like really like one of them uh, is like very it's like a tragedy and you don't really get that out of Wes Anderson anymore mm-hmm. these days, I feel like. And one of them's like a th- like a thriller. It's just like a nice little 17 minute, like very tense are we getting wes anderson uh, doing the palma has it finally has it finally <laughs> happened and yeah i mean it's 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 uh yeah so i was like man i can't remember the last time like a like a wes anderson movie had like this much like yeah. suspense in it yeah. um but yeah I've, I've, I've really enjoyed all of them so so i guess yes i have been watching a lot of wes anderson recently but it's yeah. october now yep so um i'm gonna start watching i already started I started it one day early. Oh, did you? On, on, yeah, because Criterion announced that they were taking the faculty down on yeah. September 30th instead of leaving it up for for October. That, that had to be a licensing issue. Like, like basically, oh, yeah. like, I, I want the faculty for October. You can have it for September. Had you seen the faculty I've before? I've seen so many people. I, I had never watched it. End oh, to end. Sci-fi used. To, I feel like sci-fi used to run it all the time when yeah. I was when we were like teens. Yeah. So I'd seen like pieces of it, but I'd never sat down and gone all the way through it. And, I, I, and I've seen a lot of people kind of reevaluate it because it was on Criterion this past month. And um, yeah, I loved it. I had a blast. It um, it's of of all the the kind of like Scream knockoffs. Obviously, you know mm-hmm. the the writer of Scream did this one, so it's it's interesting like so that the scream spawned like so many slashers in the late 90s and and what he did instead was like keep the high school part and instead make like a pod people movie mm-hmm. and um yeah just great cast yeah yeah that, yeah it was great i love that it. that was one when i watched it you're like because specifically that when, when they're going around in the gym like i guess the the they're taking the the cafe the drug or whatever they're having to do like yeah it's, it's like scat this yeah it's the modern day uh blood test from the thing and yeah it's, yeah it's, yeah there's there's so many references to it. that's that's also something when i had watched it on sci-fi when i was younger i had never seen like any of the movies it was referencing yeah, yeah. so wh- coming back to it this time i was like oh that's the thing that's body snatchers like it's all there i mean you know it's it's the same guy that wrote scream it's full of references and and it's and not i mean it's probably one of Rodriguez's best movies, honestly. Like I think it's, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorites from him. Um and yeah, it's a it's a very kind of Kevin Williamson really could do no wrong at that period of time with Scream, mm. with this. Uh Dawson's Creek was around this exact same time. Are you are you a Mrs. Tingle fan? I'm not I'm not I, I, I haven't <laughs> seen it in a while. That was where it kinda of, but like that's where it kind of goes down. But he did like a um I know what you did last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a. It looks like he did a rewrite on Halloween H two O, which I always I liked. I know some people don't <laughs> like it. Um, teaching Mrs. Tingle is kind of where it, where it takes it takes a, a downward turn. Um, I remember that came out because it's called Killing Mrs. Tingle initially, and they had to revamp it because of Columbine is what it was. Mm. If I'm not mistaken. Um, that was when those movies were like real life had an effect on certain release of something. Um, but no, that faculty, I like I said, it, it's a, it's a, it's a tense little kind of sci-fi, like I said, sci-fi suspense film. Um, and it's been getting a lot more play of late. Again, I love, I was, I said this to, to David, I think on the podcast, made the Patreon with Elizabeth for Elizabeth town about how like, 
yeah, it's this is what happens when you leave stuff out there for people to discover. They actually mm-hmm. find it years later and not a week after it was stopped the season or canceled. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yep. you can find it decades later. And that's what's been happening with some of those movies on like the Criterion channel with that that horror kind of series they were doing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that uh, I'm going to try to watch this this month. But uh, for our episode or for our episodes this month, we're kind of doing it's interesting. uh discussion we're going to have because it's really like a it's a it's a subgenre within a genre that kind of does all these things and i will explain because we're talking about social horror movies this month some might even class them as like social thrillers we'll talk about that a little bit on this episode but social horror movies well you're probably thinking brandon as someone told me recently a horror movie if done well has social issues you're trying to discuss and Mm -hmm. i agree with you um, I think with these this month, we're trying to take ones that are more, are more the social issues are more prominent in their storyline mm-hmm. um, and not just like full, like a little bit of allegory, but not just like us putting it in there. It's like, oh, this is what it's specifically made to represent is the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some cases they're representing a time in the in, in our case in the country, essentially. Uh, in America. So sometimes we'll deal with race. We'll probably deal with gender. Um, we'll probably deal with just society as a whole and societal norms in, in a way. Um, so, so yeah, when, when we talk about social horror, Thomas, like, what do you think of? And this could be again, very broad as horror as a whole. And then how we're narrowing it down this month. Yeah. I mean, my, my mind goes to twilight zone immediately. Mm-hmm. Like I, I grew up on the twilight zone and that always felt like like every episode felt like it it had some sort of of message mm-hmm. right it was like some sort of lesson and it was usually pretty poignant to society at that time and um probably a little bit more politically leaning than than general audiences even really kind of expected while they yeah. were watching it then but um but yeah that's like you know i think i think the one I know in, in elementary school, we read the the teleplay for the Monsters of Duel on Maple Street mm-hmm. as like a way to learn like allegory. And, and you know, because that was, uh, you know, a, a metaphor for McCarthyism. And, and it's a very it's a little bit quicker read than Animal Farm. But um, <laughs> uh, it was. Yeah. So that was kind of my first introduction to the idea of like as a kid, it was like both like not too scary for me and also like a little bit more on the nose so I could recognize like what they were talking about from a, from a social standpoint. Mm -hmm. But, but that was, that was really my, my intro to it for sure. Yeah. And I think this type of genre, again, with today's movie, I think this, the, the social elements of horror are becoming more talked about uh, with, I think, with Jordan Peele and kind of the work, I think now with the, the modern horror there, a mm-hmm. lot of them are aiming more toward trying to have social issues. And it's like, again, it's kind of harkening back, talking about what you're saying about Twilight Zone type stuff, harkening back to those type eras. Like in a way, yeah. Black Mirror uh, is, is one where it's like, where it's sci-fi, but it has horror elements commenting on today's yeah. society, kind of your modern uh, Twilight Zone. And I think we're we're becoming more aware of that where where we're trying to have messages in our works, um, 
and it's not just all slasher films nowadays like the the horror ebbs and flows of what it is it's like some would say now we're in the elevated horror we were in the elevated horror boom for a little while and now it could be kind of reverting and back now to, saw's back and now baby. you have saw you have scream you have ex, <laughs> you have exorcist you have kind of this um uh or even just kind of a, a variety of horror films that are kind of coming out that are, are are turning it back to what it was, say in the '90s or the '80s or whatever. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think a great a great example of kind of the difference between this and just kind of like what is generally associated with horror is if you go way way back, mm-hmm. we did. Uh, I don't even think that was a whole month. I think we just did like an episode on haunted house yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. But but we talked about how haunted house movies always kind of line up with housing crises. Yes, and and because they're about this idea of like. You know, it, it is kind of the, the idea of like, what if I'm stuck with this house and I can't get out of it, both from like a horror standpoint and also from a financial standpoint, those tend to coincide. The movies themselves aren't necessarily about that. Yeah. Uh, it's just the way that society influences our storytelling. Um, you know, when they made Amityville, I don't think they were like, oh, we're going to make a statement on like how the banks have, yeah. you know, exploited mortgage rates. Like, it's not the big short. It's yeah. But but it did come about because of that social issue and it has these ties to that social issue. Whereas mm-hmm. what we're talking about are ones that are very obviously made with a certain social issue in mind. In mind. Yeah. Uh, so there's a difference between like society influencing horror and and then horrors directly addressing a social topic. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. And with that, let's dive into today's movie. But first, I am Brand Sparks. I'm Thomas Horton. And this is the Nation Podcast. Kind of jumped the gun, the, the intro to the genre, but we did it now. <laughs> uh, yes, today, we're kind of talking about, this feels kind of almost like the our con artist month, where we're kind of starting with a, a movie that has almost solidified this genre in a way, in our modern in the modern context. Uh, and we'll be referencing kind of movies that influenced it that we could talk about later in the month in some way. But today, we're talking about Jordan Peele's Get Out from 2017. And... Jordan Peele's Get Out, as it released 2017, a kind of social horror, psychological horror, social thriller, as, as he was would say, uh, is about a young black man played by Daniel Kaluuya, who uncovers shocking secrets when he goes home, when he goes to his girlfriend's house uh, to meet her family in kind of the northeast somewhere. I'll, I'll say that because I'll come to play with the shooting of this movie. <laughs> um, the movie stars uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams. Lil Rel, Howry, Lakeith Stanfield, Bradley Whitford, Kale Andrew Jones, Stephen Root, and Catherine Keener. Just an all-star cast mm-hmm. of people. It was written and directed by Jordan Peele, produced by Sean McKittrick and Jason Blum, uh, Edward H. Ham Jr., and of course Jordan Peele. And it's a film that kind of took the world by storm a few years ago, and I think has since ushered in a new type of horror or a revamp of an old type of horror. And so I'll ask you, Thomas, because I know this, what is your history with get out? Um, yeah, I queued up very long for, to get into an early screening of this at USC. Mm-hmm. It was in a time. It was in like our tiny theater, which I still don't know why they put that there. But, um, I was so excited for this movie. I, yeah. uh, I, you know, loved key and peel and then 
you and I had a discussion not long before the trailer of this movie yep. came out. Where we were like, what that's, is, what I, that's what I remember. Like, <laughs> Keegan Michael Key had Keegan Michael Key had done Don't Think Twice, and yes. it like popped up on some sitcoms and, and a lot Jordan, of movies. Yeah, he was doing a lot of supporting yeah. roles in comedy movies, and we we're like, wow, he's and, really hitting the game. And other than Keanu, they had done Keanu. Twenty fifteen. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other than Keanu, like we hadn't seen or heard from Jordan Peele in a while, and and I remember like being like, man, I guess. King of Michael Key really won that like that's it's not that said. they broke up not that they broke up but that they you know they kind of stopped doing the show and, and yeah. parted and went their separate ways mm-hmm. and then the trailer for Get Out came out and it was a fantastic teaser trailer like yep. gave you nothing yep. but looked incredible visually yep. had all the deer imagery in it and and I was like oh that's what he's that's what he's been to. doing because yeah. Key and Peele ended in 2015 you're probably it's probably 2016 you're we're probably like Man, what's Jordan Peele doing? Because, like you said, I think don't think. I saw tw- Keanu opening weekend in theaters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, don't think twice is 2016. Um, I don't know if it. I think it might have been later when he did that. Like, uh, was it Friends from College? That was that was, that, but that was the same year as Get Out. Um, but it had been greenlit beforehand, so like you had kind of seen like he's he he'd popped up in like, uh certain movies i think he i think both him and peel were in fargo as well season season mm-hmm. one um uh he, he uh key had like popped up in parks and rec he he was doing a lot of stuff it felt like um and peel was kind of off not know we didn't know what he was doing was the thing mm-hmm. um and then we found out you said very quickly and i remember yeah you text me like oh this is what he's doing and it looks incredible <laughs> um yeah. And so you saw it at USC. I didn't see it at USC, but I remember you saw it. It was it was standing room only, which yeah. I got. I got in. I got a seat that time. I did stand. I they they used that same theater. I stood for what we do in the shadows. I stood through that whole movie. <laughs> is this where is, uh, is this where nineties class was? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was in that okay. theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a very small theater. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great crowd. Like it was mostly like undergrad students, yep. and like it was the the best way to see a horror movie. Like mm-hmm. everyone was in it, everyone was cheering, everyone was jumping, they were screaming. And then I took, it, and it was a couple of weeks before it came out in theaters. Yeah. And when it came out in theaters, I took a couple of our friends back, and we went to see it at the ArcLight Culver City, and the crowd was so dull and dead i was so disappointed <laughs> yeah so i yeah i remember i drove i drove i think i saw it century city because i remember i was afraid i was gonna be late because it was just the traffic was horrible trying to get there and i got towards the front and i didn't know what i was getting getting in i was i know i know what i was in for basically like mm-hmm. i'd seen the trailer and also i'll tell you this i had been told by someone who will go unnamed very early on, they had seen like a cut of the movie and just didn't like it. They said it was bad. It was stupid. Didn't make sense. It was weird. And I was like, ah, shit. I was really hoping that'd be good. So I kind of <laughs> went, but I'm seeing stuff out of Sundance and I'm because it was, it was at Sundance a week, a month before it came out. And I'm like, uh, people are liking this. So maybe that person, no offense to them, might've been wrong. And they've kind of admitted that it just wasn't for them. And, and they just kind of, I think misread what the movie was. Mm-hmm. As they thought it was supposed to be a comedy, they didn't know what they didn't know exactly what it was, which can happen with people. Um, I had I've had many discussions with people after this movie uh, about the the purpose of some of the things in this film, but I remember going to see it, 
And I remember just the the visceral reaction, the, the like the physical reaction I had when certain things happened. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about spoilers in this episode. So if you haven't seen Get Out, you can't. I think it's streaming on on Peacock. Peacock. Yeah. 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 He's got an overall deal with Universal. Yes, with, with uh, Monkey Paw, and Blumhouse does as well. Um, but I remember sitting towards the front at a specific moment towards the end when the flashing lights start going on the driveway. My hands literally just shoot up like, oh shit. <laughs> like, cause cause it's just like it's this like, you know, because we're in the again, you have to put the context of what's happening in the world this time. It's early 2017. There's been a lot of things in the news uh about police brutality. There's a lot of things about race in the news. Trump has just been inaugurated um at this point in time. politics and social issues are at a a massive high at this point in time. So when you see at that specific point, a black man covered in blood, white people on the ground everywhere. And you see what could be cop lights, police, police, police lights going off. You think the worst for this character and you think you're about to see something horrible happen to this person who's been fighting for their life the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget that reaction of when I had it. And I went back a year later to see the movie because they were showing it right before Oscar season. Uh, cause it, cause this released a year before the Oscars. Uh, I went to see it again. I was like, this is still just a, a, I, to me, a perfect film legitimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it, it's funny again, I've had many conversations with people, uh, that are white about this movie and <laughs> they, I think sometimes miss the point of the movie. Like I distinctly remember one conversation where one guy's just like, yeah, man, there's just like a, it's kind of racist because there's no good white people in it. And I was just like, really? Really? That's what we're on about? It's <laughs> racist because there's not good white people? I think you're kind of missing what the filmmaker's trying to do, but okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's always stuck with me. I, I think, again, it, that was a really great year for you and me talking about two directors we have grown to love a lot that came out the same exact year, and that was Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig. Two mm-hmm. people we were, that were known for uh, acting mostly, uh, in some cases acting in more of a comedic role and then both coming out with Get Out and Lady Bird and then have continuously put movies out uh, at a high level that are now becoming kind of our big Hollywood players and directors that people are loving. That's we're a very interesting period. Um, but mm-hmm. Peel is kind of that, in that in that group of people um, that we're seeing kind of ushering in that that kind of new class of people. So with all that, with all that talking about Get Out, let's talk about how this movie got to production so we'll jump around a little bit here but we'll start our story in 2013 in new orleans so keegan michael key one half of the famous comedic duo key and peel was filming a movie named hell baby down new orleans and key was playing a role in the film and producer sean mckittrick was producing it and mckittrick had been working in the business for over a decade even though he was only 36 at the time, around 36 at the time. Uh, Sean started off working with Richard Kelly, producing his mm. films, Donnie Darko, Southland Tales, and The Box. And so he'd been doing kind of horror and kind of like thriller type stuff for a little bit. And during the production of Hell Baby, Keegan-Michael Key told McKittrick that he should meet his good friend and comedy partner, Jordan Peele. He said, you gotta meet Jordan. 
He's a horror fanatic and he has all these ideas, which if you've worked in Hollywood, you hear that a lot. <laughs> so Jordan and Sean met in New Orleans for coffee and Peel started telling Sean some of his ideas for movies until finally Jordan Peel said, here's one you'll never want to make. And that's when he told McKittrick the story of Get Out. And with Get Out, McKittrick said he was fascinated by the story and it hooked him immediately. And while at coffee that day, he offered to buy the pitch and pay Jordan Peele to write the movie immediately, as soon as possible. And Sean could tell that Peele was a little shocked by this very uh, abrupt and very quick offer to make this movie. Peele would get to writing, and it would only take him two months to write the first draft of this movie. But it wasn't like this idea just came to him. Peele had been thinking about the story of Get Out for years. He actually can't with the idea during the 2008 Democratic primary battle between future President Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. While Peel was known for comedy after his work with Keon Peel and Matt TV, he was a massive horror fan, as Guillermo Malky had told Sean McKittrick that day in 2013. Peel said he had never seen the uncomfortableness of being the only black guy in the room in a film. He said Rosemary's Baby and The Stepford Wives were movies that did it with gender, but he never seen it done with race. And while watching the 2008 primaries, he saw two parallel civil rights movements going on at the same exact time. They've been going on for a long time. And he said he thought if you can make a movie as entertaining as Rosemary's Baby and the Stepford Wives, which dealt with gender and the idea that men are conspiring against women, you could do the same thing with race. An actor, comedian, and future Get Out star Lil Rel Howry said that Peel had told him about this idea around this time and Rail thought it was brilliant. And Peel began to toy this idea for years and years and years, trying to figure out what the genre of this movie would be. Some classify it as horror, some classify it as comedy, satire, psychological horror. Peel classified it as a social thriller. He said the bad guy in these movies is society. Once he sat down to write the first draft, Peel said it was already in his head with each scene coming naturally during the writing process. It was during the writing process that he realized he not only wanted to write the movie, but he had to direct this. Uh, he said that he got, the part, he got to the party scene when Chris took the photo of Lakeith Stanfield's character and he asked himself, who's going to direct this movie? And that's when he thought about how there hadn't been a lot of black directors behind the camera within the horror genre. And he realized he should do this movie. Peel went through various script revisions during the writing process. At one point, I don't know how true this number is. At one point I heard 200 times, 200 wow. drafts. That's a lot. If it's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, that's a one site thing. Uh, and I'm not sure when he decided upon the title. I think it might've been very early on because this, the title kind of inspired the movie, uh, cause it has a specific origin. Peel stated during the commentary in several interviews that this film was partially inspired by Eddie Murphy joke during his delirious stand-up concert <laughs> film. So during the stand-up film, we talked about Amityville horror earlier. Murphy mm -hmm. joked about how horror films like Poltergeist and Amityville horror had white people who didn't leave when a ghost showed up. And right. Mur Murphy joked about a black family buying a new house with a man telling his wife, how beautiful the home is and the ghost whispers get out and the man goes too bad we can't stay here baby let's go mm -hmm. yep and that became kind of the premise 
of this movie of kind of like with especially a race how a lot of times black black audiences black characters know when not to get in certain situations basically what it is peel says being being black and being uh, and and kind of being more aware of race is that you don't put yourself in certain situations that could be dangerous you're more acutely aware of what's happening around you and that's why in horror movies he wanted to kind of have characters that were like that that's why little rail is kind of a big part that he as rod kind of walks that line um of what uh of what you can can't do in a movie so after peel had written the script horror producer jason blum became aware of it apparently dimension films who were famous for being the hub for 90s horror films i think they even Mm -hmm. did the faculty i think i read actually passed on this script of get out Hmm. but someone told blum about it and blum said he also heard his assistant say that he had that they had heard that peel had said in an interview that he had written a horror movie so blum caught wind of it got the script and loved it side note here I never knew this. This is, this is just a film, a, t- a tidbit about Jason Blum. Do you know who his college roommate was? No. Noah Baumbach. Oh, wow. So and is there a Blum- character in Kicking and Screaming that's based on Jason Blum? Blum helped produce Kicking and Screaming, which I never oh, knew. Oh, no way. Yeah. So fun fact, never knew that. They were, they were roommates at Vassar together is what it was. Hmm. Same age. When talking about working with Peel, Blum said Peel was wonderful to work with. He said most first-time directors are mid-20s who made a short film that went to Sundance, and now they have like a $2 million indie movie they're making. Yeah, and, that checks out. Yeah, and Peel had experience of being a showrunner, so he was super clear about what he won- wanted and had no issues with making a movie for under $5 million, which is yeah, what and, and years of TV experience. Years of TV experience, like Mad TV. He'd basically been working in the TV world for almost a decade, if not more, was mm-hmm. the thing. And so basically, said, you have to make a $5 million movie. Um, that's how all these films do. But if it's a big hit, if it's a, if it's a hit, we all make money on the back end. So yep. take note of that. that um, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. Uh, in 2015, Peel began casting the, casting the movie. The first two people cast in the film were Dan Kaluuya, and Allison Williams. Now, Kaluuya was cast for two reasons. Peel said he had seen him in the Black Mirror episode, 15 Million Merits, and he said that that uh, Daniel was basically playing a British version of Chris. Uh, Kaluuya was also cast based on his audition. During his audition, he did five takes of a key scene. Apparently, Peel said that during every take, Daniel was able to, cr- to cry, specifically had only one single tear fall down mm. his face, at the exact same time, uh, at the exact same moment during every take. And it's reported that he was offered the role pretty much on the spot after that audition process. For Allison Williams, she was at a point in her career where she said she she was trying to find a part that weaponized her persona in some way. Peel said he cast her because of that. He wanted wanted an actress to play Rose, the girlfriend character, to be someone the audience thought would be the good white person in the movie. Mm-hmm. He said people see her as Marnie from Girls or even Peter Pan, which she has just recently done at NBC's live musical at that time. So she was going to be this ingenue character who kind of helps Chris save the day. Mm-hmm. And that all comes into play in the story of the movie. <laughs> so from the end of 2015 to February 2016, Peel would round out the rest of the cast with Lil Rail, Bradley Whitford, 
Catherine Keener, Kale Landry Jones, Lakeith Stanfield, and Stephen Root. Hell yeah, Stephen Root. They would soon <laughs> gear up for production in Los Angeles, but certain things were on the horizon that would cause a ma- major shift in production. We'll talk about that once we talk about our favorite scenes. So, Thomas, what's one of your favorite scenes? Uh, I mean, I think the intro to the family is just yeah, it's it's great. I love I love the like. I mean, it, you could go through like every line of dialogue in this movie and just analyze how it's like jokes that are also serving the the suspense that are that are also serving the story. It yep crazy, but the 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 I would have voted for Obama three times. It's like one of the best lines to come out of this movie, and I love I I had forgotten I was so taken with like the way bradley whitford delivers it that i had forgotten that that allison williams sets it up and that's yeah. the punchline. but like that's that is her when when chris is like are your parents going to be okay with you dating a black guy that is her answer is like my dad yeah. would have vo- voted for obama three times and then he drops it like immediately but but the 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 tour around the house with bradley whitford is just yeah. masterful because you're you're getting delivered these like little jokes these little these these little microaggressions you know kind of throughout mm-hmm. uh plus you're getting all this this kind of these hints for for the, the actual mystery that's going on you, he you get the the thing about the grandfather being a uh, uh being a, a, a racer and a yeah. racist a, a, um, a runner yeah track star. <laughs> and having this like grudge against jesse owens and you get um you get the literally as they're walking into the kitchen, he's like, my mother's favorite place was the kitchen. And Georgina is like standing there as they yeah. walk in. And and when they, they when they're introducing the photo of Caleb Landry Jones, they pan from a photo like of him as a kid to a photo of all of them yep. with the grandparents. Yep. Um. So it's yeah, it's it is just it, it especially watching it this time. This was my first time coming back to it. I watched it maybe like five times the yeah. year that it came out. Yeah. And then um, I had so so I like took it all in then and then it's been sitting in my head and, and this is my first time coming back to it since then. So that like some of the some of the setups, some of the like details I had I had forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting watching it this time, like knowing the big picture and being like, oh, man, it's right there. It's right there. It's right there. Yeah. But um, but just the way. In the structure of this film, you know, the way that it opens with these with these little microaggressions like i was saying you know it's 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 this idea of stuff it's the kind of the whole joke of of the film is ultimately based off the idea that like these kind of progressive white people think that as long as they're not saying like hate speech they're not being racist yes um so so then you get all these little things like like um like Bradley Whitford, like dropping some AAVE into his, you know, every once in a while. Oh, 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 it's it was like how how long's this thing been going on? Yeah, is what yeah. He and says. my man, in multiple. Man. Al- yeah. Allison Williams like calls him out for it later. She's like, "Oh, my dad's so embarrassing." He kept yeah. saying, "My man," um, you and know. I, and then it, and I've seen that in real life. I will say that I've seen <laughs> that in real life from people I know. And then it just keeps getting, you know, it, it, he just keeps ratcheting it up. So then, yeah. you know, Caleb Landry Jones comes in and then you get this like with your genetics and muscle structure, you'd be great at UFC. And it's like, yeah. oh, OK, now now it's not. And now it's getting out of like microaggressions and getting into f- full on. The, the subtext uh, is becoming text. The subtext yeah. is becoming text all of a sudden. But but yeah, I think just in that opening, 
the and, and and it's interesting because I was watching it this time and I was listening to the music underneath and mm-hmm. and I'm like you know they're still kind of building tension but they don't he doesn't want to just outright be like you know Bradley Whitford and and Catherine Keener are evil um, so you get that deer the deer thing is introduced to give yeah. you this kind of sense of unease but in that first scene kind of throughout the tension is from like Georgina and mm-hmm. um, I forget what the grandfather's name is. Um, Walt, Walter's the, the, the groundskeeper. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the idea that, you know, like, like Stepford wives, like that is, that yeah. is the, the initial tension is like something is weird with the, with the African-American population in this town. Um, and, but yeah, I think that that whole intro is like, comedically and it's a different like the comedy later is is from things like going way over the top you know yeah. uh, but this is like the, the comedy is deriving from the exact same thing that the horror is deriving from in this mm-hmm. in these early scenes and it is fantastic it, it it really is a a masterwork in how to layer a script in terms mm-hmm. of the multiple meanings how characters are kind of playing different things at once is the thing. It's like, and I'll talk about it a little bit later with Allison Williams, how she talks about how like she's playing a facade when underneath playing herself and she's using the facade to get what the other one wants in the end about finding out more about Chris, about kind of how to set up things. I mean, a great, a great example is that I think it's just a key thing about this character to see the kind of the duality of it all is when, uh, after the deer scene, Mm-hmm. When the cop asked for Chris's license for his ID mm-hmm. and people can read it a lot of different ways. The, at first you can read it, which is how you're supposed to read it basically as the cop is racial profiling. It's a black man, a white woman. Uh, let me see. Like if you fit the description of this, of this person, of this crime or whatever. Mm-hmm. So she's of course being like, Oh, like that's such bullshit. Like, why are you doing yeah, this? Uh, like, I'm an ally. Yeah, yeah, I'm an ally. You're racist. But what was really happening b- below the surface is she doesn't want a, a, a record of Chris being here. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Is that I think Peel talked about this. Peel talked about this at one point where like cops are aware there's missing like people around this area, missing black mm-hmm. men, and he's probably trying to see if he's one of this possibly the one that's missing people not saying that's mm-hmm. what it is but the main thing at the at the surface or at the kind of core of it is that rose is trying to make sure the cop does not get the name of chris to where when he goes missing he might oh i met that guy he was yeah. off on this area so she's doing her best to pretend to be an ally to kind of cover her tracks yeah is the whole thing and the deer scene is is always is a big play is a big big thing here to kind of show chris's character because it comes back later where he talks about his mother i mm-hmm. think as well and also kind of how chris some will, will say chris is kind of the deer in this situation but it's this idea of something being injured and not being able to or or not saving it when you can basically and that mm-hmm. again this whole movie is, was again talk about the layer of the scripts is that like Chris is still going through this idea of grief and loss about his mom and kind of blaming himself uh, for her death in some way that he could have saved her in some way, the guilt around it. And the Armitage family 
essentially weaponizes all those things against Chris is what they try to do is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again, it's really, it's really fantastic of how it's done. It's how from all the characters uh, with everything. I want to backtrack a little bit. I love the opening. Just kind of establish the tone of this film uh, is Lakeith Stanfield walking the suburbs at night, trying to find the house, which looks of course, nothing like the neighborhood of where there actually are. And like mm-hmm. later on in the movie, um, but it, it, I think I heard that PLC, he wanted to kind of emulate John Carpenter's Halloween. Yeah, that it looks up. like, yeah, it looks like the street from Halloween. Yes, where it's a kind of one, it's a one take scene and you're introducing this character. You're also introducing the idea of the social aspect of it, of a black man in a predominantly white neighborhood. And then you have a car driving by and you're like, ah, oh, shit, I'm about to get questioned of like why I'm in this neighborhood. And then it just tw- it just turns and it's a guy that comes out of the darkness, beats him up, puts him in the car. And now we're in this movie is the thing. And then mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time afterwards talking about kind of opening. It's it's really it's it's honestly shocking. Like if you watch this movie from the beginning, have knowing nothing about it, it seems like a very typical like guess who's coming to dinner script, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like. Everything's very simple. It seems um, not amateurish, but like it seems like a first time filmmaker with the with the dialogue and everything and with the like with Rod's character and introducing the friends. It seems like kind of like, oh, it's setting up this just like traditional horror film or made traditional like dramedy in some way. Mm-hmm. And it just again all turns on itself later on is again where it just kind of makes it masterful as a thing. Um, what's another scene you have? Um. Well, one one that I personally like stands out for me, and part of it is because of the rage that I felt while I was in the theater the second time around because a woman. It is a almost entire. It's done kind of silently. It it it's the auction scene. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I was in the theater, and I'm I, you know people text in the theater. It happens. Just make sure your brightness is down. I'm not going to be like, ah, you know, somebody like five rows in front of me is texting. I'm not going to be like, ah, I can't keep my eyes off the screen unless you're like blaring the brightness. But yeah, this woman texted through the entire scene and it's done where Rose is like, let's go get some air. And they like walk away and we're cutting back and forth between like their conversation about how he's starting to feel a little weird with everything that's going on here Mm -hmm. and you, and I, I, that is like our first confirmation that something is truly wrong. Yeah. Like they are silently auctioning off something. And this is, yes, this is bad. This is the first time that we're really like, this is, this is everybody here is in on it. Yeah. Um, this woman in front of me texted through that whole scene, never looked up. I wanted to reach down and tap her on the shoulder. She had no idea. She was seeing it for the first time. And she was just like, oh, I'll just listen to the dialogue, I guess. And I'm just like, you just missed a key moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's great that that imagery is wild. And just the way, you know, you get the party, you get the you get Stephen Root, um, you know, you get him meeting all these people. And it's just, you know, the weirdness just keeps ratcheting up and ratcheting up. And you mm-hmm. start getting these questions. And I think that's the scene when like the the microaggressions really blurs with like the horror of it is like yeah. you start getting these questions about his, his physique and, yeah. and his body. And it's like, what, like you've, you've hey. gone from, from stuff that like your, your white 
parents would say that embarrass you to like this is getting way too specific yeah. like this is getting asking about really his, like weird. sexual uh, asking about sexual ability yes. and, do, and yeah. does Allison Williams enjoy it more with with him um and it's oh I know Tiger Woods or whatever that's the that's like the microaggression mm-hmm. type thing um or the guy's like oh black's cool black's in again yeah yeah and and so I think I think this is the point I, I can speak to my experience seeing it for the first time but I think mm-hmm. this is what the movie is kind of structured to make you think is it when you get to this point you with within this scene you have them kind of you know feeling him up like he's like he's livestock you have an actual auction going on while he's not looking you have the first instance of uh him, him taking the picture of Lakeith stanfield and him kind of obviously like flashing out of whatever his stupor is I, this is when you kind of get this idea that like oh they're they're enslaving uh these these yeah. black people and they're using we, we've we've already heard we've already seen the like hypnotism and it's like they're using hypnotism to enslave these people and sex so slaves. you have this sex slaves yeah you have this moment where you're like oh, okay i've got it figured out yep and yep. then i think the brilliance of this movie is that you don't at all um nope. as it goes on but but it, uh, that's such a good kind of midpoint sequence for for everything there it, it's it's where everything kind of ratchets up yep to like because up until then it's playing that game of like is he just feeling really uncomfortable with meeting his girlfriend's parents with yep. meeting his girlfriend's white parents is all of this unease just because of the situation that he's in. And then that's the scene when it just ratchets up and you get complete confirmation. Something is wrong here. He should not be here. He should get out. Yeah. It's so well done the whole thing. And, and, and it's one of those, I love uh, like daytime horror. Like if you can yep. make a scene in the bright sunlight and make it be terrifying, then you're working like doubly as hard as I, as I think it was kind of everyone's takeaway from midsummer as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's masterfully done. No, I agree. And like I said, leading up to that again, like Keith in that moment is like great from the, when he's basically playing the, the Logan King character that the, 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 uh-huh. the counterpart, the other part of the brain he's taking. Um, and then when he, he transitions to Andre Hayworth, um, mm-hmm. is great. Um, and again, also, uh, Kaluuya in the moment of like, like, oh, it's good to see that good to see that like brother here, basically. <laughs> and then it's like, and he's like, oh, it's no, it's nice to see you too, sir. Yeah, like, watching watching it back, knowing what's actually going on is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, what the hell? So um, all these old old white people who have no idea how to act. Correct, <laughs> a young black man around a young black man, and that's like again talking about Peel. So he wanted to capture the uncomfortableness, uncomfortableness of being a black man in a, in a room of all white people, and that's what that that's that's like the core of that scene is what it is, mm-hmm. um, and what you have to deal with essentially, and beforehand too, and and that's the thing is that he's just a character who's like. He's living through it. He's seen it before. He gets it. It's a little. It's a little, It's a little weird because because the added uh, character of Andre for him, um, just something is off. But it, it first just started being like the white parents are trying to be intimidating in some way. Like it's Bradley Whitford has the thing about like, oh yeah, I hate deers. They're trying to take over. Just like like kill them all off. I don't care. Like they're trying to take over my place or whatever. And like that that mm-hmm. feels like it's trying to say something. And then you yeah. have the hypnosis scene when you first introduce the sunken place, which is a, a great sequence with Keener, but Keener mm-hmm. like becomes intimidating of like, are you smoking mm-hmm. in front of my daughter? And he's like, I'm trying to quit. And she's just like, go to sleep or whatever. It's like, 
and you're now in the sunken place and like mm-hmm. something's off, but again, like I so said, you don't know what it is yet. Um, and then we get, I think Billy, and this is a moment in theaters that like shook me. And that's the whole part of this, of this sequence. And also just kind of this movie is when Chris is trying to leave. He's found the pictures in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the room and he's leaving and he's like, let's, let's get, let's like, and Rose can't find the keys. So let's, let's find them on the way. Let's uh-huh. go, let's, let's start moving. And it's building and building. Caleb Landry Jones is like stalking in the background by the door. He's got his lax spoon. Like yeah. what a, what a great preppy white boy weapon. The, yes. The, and the tensions building of, she's like, I can't find the keys. I, I just can't find the keys. And he's like, Chris, like where are Chris? Just like where the key Rose, get the keys, get the keys. And you see him begin to realize she is in on it. And I remember in the theaters when she like, she's, I can't find, can't find. And then she just pulls her hand out with the keys. Yeah. Fucking blew my mind. Like legitimately. The, I was just like, thing is, I was like, this guy is fucked. This is literally what the, I thought. Like, screw you. Like anybody who watches that and they're like, Oh, he still trusted her after she saw the box of photos. I did too. <laughs> I, I, saw did a too. Box of, I saw I a too. box of photos and I thought, you know, like her parents, they've got hypnotism. I don't know what it is, but yeah. like, obviously she doesn't know what's going on legitimately like, legitimately <laughs> I, and, and again but that's like the whole purpose and hey and i'll talk about more in the onset life because that was a very key moment for peel as the director because he's aware it's like there it's a it's a redundant scene mm-hmm. it's showing one thing and saying this and then you're like i still think she's gonna help him out because that's well, what all is, of I, movies I, have taught us and and the movie has been so openly telegraphing that everybody else that's there's something wrong with yeah. everybody else yeah. you know and it and the and it up until we see those photos there's never anything like she's she's always on his side from like a filmmaking standpoint it's yes. like she's listening to him she's she's standing up for know, him yeah she's stepping away with him and yeah so so there's there's just the the in, within the filmmaking and I'm sure if, you know, if you were, if you probably, if you like pause the movie the first time you were watching it, if you were watching it at home, which I'm, I'm sorry, that's not the first way you should watch it. Um, if you like paused it and like, well, I'm, I'm going to go make dinner and you like just sat with it, you know, probably like right after the the, the scene with the pictures or maybe mm-hmm. even just before you might start to be like, hmm, Rose is acting a little weird. But the, the pacing of the movie, the filmmaking, the yeah. performance from Allison Williams, everything about it is geared up to make that key reveal work and it shouldn't work because they just told you that she's in on it and yet it's still a shock. It, I, I just, I just remember again, and this is the brilliance of this movie and the brilliance appeal as a writer with this is how do you write your character into a corner and then get them out of that corner is the whole mm-hmm. thing is that he, he is. And that's what happens here is it? Cause when I, I was like, there's how's he getting out of this whole situation? And that's a, a, the sign of a great filmmaker and a great writer is putting a character in a situation where I have no clue how they're going to get out. Everything is against them. Mm-hmm. You have you have Rod out there trying to do what he can do to get yet to, to find out what's going on. But you are stuck in a house that has proven there's no way of getting out. And then yeah, we just in, shift in a house in a neighborhood in, you know, that's like, far, so away, far away from anything. S- yeah, it's because like he, he says it early on. Wilford says like, oh, the closest house is across the lake. Mm hmm. 
Like there's no one around here at all. It's like it's it's, it's our own kind of private island in a way. And and then you have the big reveal where Chris goes downstairs, is put in the in the like hunting like trophy room, basically, uh, and is trapped to the chair and is revealed to him what this is all about. And again, a scene that is purely exposition in a way with Steven Root kind of no, he, 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 that's what's so great about Peel with he builds in character within the exposition scene is that Root Steven Root is telling Chris everything about the surgery about the brain about how you're still in, how you're still in there but I'm also going to be in there mm. but then it's all based around like I could give a shit that you're black you're white that you're physically you're muscular this like I just want your eye man I want to I want to see the way you see the world is the thing which is, mm-hmm. is a whole other aspect of race in a way of maybe of again i'm not someone that can that it is as big or knows enough about kind of culture like studies and cultural studies and stuff like that but like this idea of like a white person taking this black man's perspective and making it his own is the mm-hmm. thing there's just so much there that's built into everything of these characters and with race and all that and here um yeah. and that whole thing is incredible and then you have, and then you have the big kind of blow off of when Chris tries to escape. Yeah, is the thing. Um, yeah, like, and that was that was just watching that in the theater was fantastic. It was fantastic. Like, it was fantastic. Jumps, cheers. Yeah, <laughs> I've never been in a theater where people were cheering on murder more than more than, than this movie. Yeah, yeah, every time he gets he gets one of those family members. Yeah. Now the time I saw it in a year later, it was mostly all old white people. They were not cheering and happy like, <laughs> like I was. Um, but now all that stuff with when that's happening, when he's getting with the de- when he brings the deer back is the thing. Mm-hmm. Use the deer as a killing weapon. Um, gets rid of Bradley Whitford. Gets rid of all that. Again, I love the part beforehand too when backtracking a little bit when rod calls up rose and he's just like i know this woman's lying i know mm-hmm. she's lying <laughs> i'm a recorder eating the eating the fruit loops, the fruit loops. yeah without yeah without milk because it's the idea of like not mixing the two again again the symbolism of everything we're talking about like where where chris has to literally pick cotton out of the chair to mm-hmm. save to save himself in the moment um, there's these little things that, that Peel just does that layers in and we'll talk a little bit more later and, and kind of, uh, onset life and aftermath, but it's all there. And then again, it builds this ending where I've I, I just, the idea of a, a, such a quick twist that, that is able to get two things. It's able to get the meaning of the fear at the end mm-hmm. of them being cops and you going, oh shit, he's done for. Again, it's like mm-hmm. this guy can't catch a break. He keeps getting screwed over. And then the turn that, oh, it's Rod. He's here to he's here to get Chris and they're good to go. And you're like, you get the happy ending and the somber ending of what could be in that mm-hmm. moment of just showing lights. And that's it's incredible. Again, I, I literally stuck my hands up in the air and be like, holy shit. <laughs> This guy, he's about to get screwed over again. And then it turns. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Moving on to onset life. So like I said, the plan was to film Get Out in Los Angeles. The first scene I believe they shot, or one of the first scenes, was when Laurel, as Rod, is at the airport calling Chris as he was on his way to Rose's parents. 
This was shot in February 2016, and Rel remembers how it was only like him in the scene, so it's a very small shoot. Not a lot of makeup. He's like, I need a haircut. I didn't have a makeup person really that that well that day. They could cut it. It was just bad. <laughs> production would quickly, uh, production however, would quickly fall apart in California after the film failed to receive the California tax rebate. Mm. So they would have to move the production to Fairhope, Alabama, a town in South Alabama, not too far from Mobile. And Blum had shot several films. His production had shot several films in Alabama. A lot of Mike Flanagan's earlier stuff was shot in Alabama, I believe. And I, it's in Alabama. I want to be key. I want to be kind of very, make everyone aware of this. It's being shot, being filmed in 2016 during Donald Trump's campaign for presidency. And I'll just go into that about just the, the differences of politics at this point in time between people who are coming in from California into Alabama. Um, so Peel stressed that even though the film was made in Alabama, he did not want the movie to take place in the South. He said, it was really important to me to not have the villains in this film to reflect the typical red state type who is usually categorized as being racist. It felt like that was too easy. I wanted yeah. this film to explore the false sense of security one can have with the sort of New York liberal liberal type, basically the liberal elite, essentially. Uh, when talking about filming in Alabama, Peel said that I went to Alabama with my own stereotypes and preconceived notions about getting chased out. There's definitely a feeling that you're in Trump country, but I have to say the stereotypes were proven wrong. People were very sweet, very open, and there's a lot of film lovers that are that are there who are very intelligent. Ultimately, I loved Alabama. Uh, all this stuff, by the way, is being mentioned in an article with Vulture. They did a whole kind of oral history of Get Out, and he mentions it there. Uh, he also talked mm. about how the crew was made up of people with a lot of different political views during a very heated time, but they all got along. A lot of the cast and crew talked about how different it was to film in Alabama, seeing a lot of the Trump signs and Confederate flags, something they were not used to coming from California or in Kaluuya's standpoint, coming from England, uh, very new to him. And most of the cast and crew actually stay at the Grand Hotel Marriott Resort in Fairhope, Alabama. It used to be a Confederate hospital oh. during the Civil War. And, and they all talked about how it was haunted when they were there. Most of the time, the cast and crew actually hung out at the house that Allison Williams was staying at during the filming. She went down there uh, early during pre-production, rented a house that had a bunch of land and a fire pit. And most nights, everyone would come by and they would eat and cook dinner together. Williams said, we all got so closer we all got so much closer as a result because at nights and on weekends, we all hung out with each other. Whereas if we'd been in LA, it would have been more like a job rather than a life. The film's editor, Gregory uh, Plotkin praised Peel for giving each actor a solo moment in the film, as he called it. Uh, Whitford Jones and Keener all get incredible moments to show off their acting abilities. Also Williams too. All of them were going through several different arcs or portraying several different versions of their characters. When talking about his character, Whitford said that he didn't realize how big of a laugh his voting for Obama a third time would get <laughs> because he said he actually said that in his own life all the time and didn't realize he didn't realize that he was making fun of himself in that moment. So when he says it, he kind of says it as a very sense in or he says it in a sincere way because he actually believed it at the point. Um, Williams talked about her character of Rose and how the how it, how she had different layers. So there's the version she shows Chris, and there's the real evil version of Rose we meet at the end. 
Williams said her and Peel built out two decoy arcs. One of them was the racial uh, wokening, as they say, that the audience thought she was learning about racism and helping Chris uh-huh. out. The other decoy was Rose's attempt to get to, to get Chris to open up about his mother. Kaluuya talked about his arc as well, saying as a black man, you have to have a veneer of coolness. He said he felt responsible for Chris's emotional arc, which is a pressure cooker of oppression. He said at the beginning of the movie, Chris understands the cost of saying something and standing up for yourself if you're black. But at the end, mm-hmm. it's a complete it's a complete release of it all. When talking about the sunken place sequence, the cinematographer Toby Oliver said that it was quite abstract and con- conceptual on the page. He said it was a real challenge to figure out how they could make that illustration of someone's subconscious work without a huge truckload of visual effects. He said they ended up doing some of a technique that was used in underwire sequences in movies called Dry for Wet. He talks about in The Abyss, they, they, they did, he did a little bit in The Abyss for it on Cameron's Abyss, funny enough. Uh, he said you basically shoot on a dry soundstage, but you use a lot of smoke and shoot everything in slow motion, making it seem like it's underwater. Then you'd add winds to ripple anything that's moving to give you that feeling of floating. But since they weren't underwater, they didn't use smoke for it. But that's what kind of gave that effect of him kind of floating in nothingness, basically. Peel said, I always had this concept of the place that you're falling toward when you're going to sleep and you get the falling, falling sensation and catch yourself. And if you don't, mm-hmm. if you didn't catch yourself, where would you end up? I had this hellish image and I thought of this idea. What if you were in a place you could look through your own eyes if you're a little as if they were literal windows or a screen and you see what your body was seeing, but feel like a prisoner in your own mind, the chamber of your mind. Huh. Peel said the hardest scene to get across was the key scene. He said it was tough, as we we're talking about, because there are two reveals. They reveal the photos, the black man in the room, and then her hiding the keys. He said it was hard because it was a redundant scene. All the characters knew what was going on, but the tension could not be unbroken. Mm-hmm. He said that's the day he felt like he became a director because that's when the cast trusted him and it worked out incredibly well. The movie would wrap after 23 days of production with a budget of $4.5 million, but it wouldn't be the last time they filmed something for Get Out. And that's when we'll go into aftermath here to talk <laughs> about that. So they took Get Out to the editing room and once they finished it, they did test screens for it. And people were loving it. They were loving the movie. It was funny. It was horror. It was scary. But that's when they realized that people didn't like the ending of the movie. And Peel also felt that it wasn't working anymore like he originally intended. He talked about how he felt like the political world had become more hostile with the rise of Trump in America. The original ending had Chris being arrested by cops after the death of Rose and her family with the final scene between Chris and Rod with Chris in jail. Rod tries to tell Chris he's trying to do what he can. He's trying to find out more information to help him get out of there. But Chris just says, it's okay. As long as I stop them, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with being in here. Yeah. Very like he's accepted his fate. And he's a, he's a basically sadly another black man in jail essentially is what it is. He's just accepted the fact if, if I will take this punishment, if this doesn't happen to anyone else again, Mm -hmm. Producer Sean McKittrick recalls the test screen of the original ending. He said the audience was absolutely loving the movie. And then it was like we punched everybody in the gut. You could feel the air being sucked out of the room. The country was different. We weren't in the Obama era. We were in this new world where all the racism crept out from under the rocks again. 
It was always an ending that we debated back and forth. So we decided to go back and shoot pieces for the other ending where Chris eventually wins. After the recrafting of the ending, Peel said, I think my improv training just put me in this mind frame of with each problem, there's not one solution. There's not two solutions. There's an infinite amount of great solutions. That includes the ending. When I realized the original downer ending wasn't working, I didn't freak out. I looked at it as an opportunity to come up with a better ending. Another ending he came up with at the time, I don't know if they shot it or what, but basically it ended with Rod breaking into the estate to find Chris. And when he calls Chris by his name, Chris says, I assure you, I don't know who you're talking about. Basically basically saying that the transformation went through, transplant went through. Um, At first, once this film was finished, it was edited, no one quite... No one was quite sure of what to do with this movie, how to market this movie. Blum, Blumhouse is known for testing the movies and seeing, do we do a bigger release? Do we do a smaller release? Is it a VOD? And so they weren't for sure what to do. So Universal cut a trailer together, put it out during the BET Awards in 2016, and the response was overwhelming. As you talked about earlier, uh, when you saw the trailer, it got 25 million views in 12 hours which is a lot for a non-tentpole movie, basically. Mm-hmm. They would show the film at Sundance where it was critically loved, and essentially the trailer mixed the critical praise, gave Universal the confidence to put more money behind a marketing campaign for Get Out. The film opened on February 24, 2017, and was an immediate success. Jason Blum's, they were hoping for a like high teens or low 20s for the film's first box office weekend. <laughs> Instead... It grossed $33 million on its opening weekend. It would become even more impressive because the week after, when most horror films lose around 60% of their audience, Get Out only dropped 20% of its audience. It's incredible. Uh, The film would end up grossing $255 million worldwide. Wow. Against its $4.5 million budget. Uh, I read that based off of after all the Hollywood accounting with this movie, as they do, uh, the film would net a profit of $124 million, mm. making it the 10th most profitable film of 2017. And and prompt a lot of conversations about the mid-budget movie being back. Yep. And then dead again, and then back again, and then dead again, and then back again. <laughs> Uh, Peel said when I was making the movie, I was putting enough Easter eggs and I say this, this to people in 20 years, they're going to look back and see all these things. I had not expect to be taken as seriously out of the gate (laughs) and for people to scrutinize it and see it as many times as they did right away. So I think the thing that really propelled this into such a pleasing success was the fact that people saw it over and over and over again. The film would, as I said, made a bunch of money, would receive awards nominations from almost every single main award show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was nominated for several Oscars. Let me get you the actual number of them. Uh, at the 90th Oscars. Wow. It was nominated for four Oscar nominations. And it would win for Best Original Screenplay. Yes. By Jordan Peele. Which... How I've always felt, no offense to the Best Picture winner, uh, Shape of Water, I feel like the screenplay award is really the indicator most of the time 
on what will have longevity with audiences? There, there have been two times in recent memory in my adult life that as soon as they announced a best picture runner, I was like, that's the wrong call. <laughs> and one of those times was get out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like the shape of water. I don't, we go back and listen to our Gamble del Toro month. It's not my favorite of his. Um, but this, this was the best movie. This was the movie of the year. Everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not a populist when it comes to the <laughs> Academy Awards. But I do think there is something special when you have a movie that speaks to the time mm-hmm. that 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 is artistically well crafted and yep. that captures audiences. Um, and I'm, we I'm don't not, and we don't get it a lot. We we very rarely get that, and we used to. We you know we used it used to, to be time. a best a best picture winner was an art house movie that also everyone saw, yeah. and now we don't necessarily get that anymore. So so when you have and 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 i guess the horror part was the downfall of it i was surprised how well it was embraced given being a horror but i was like this is clearly the movie of the year this is clearly the movie going forward that this year will be remembered for this will be the best movie made this year and and it was a huge mistake to not give it to that movie yeah because the other the other one was a star is born (laughs) i I figured that was gonna be (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was that was yeah. Stars Born, Roma, favorite Black Landsman, yeah. Um, but Green Book won. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just one that I think I think this year again talking about that I think this year will be a very interesting year for us because at the moment, um, it's kind of between, I'd say right now the talks of Oscars it's a three way race at the moment, and that's Barbie, that's Oppenheimer, and Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon are kind of your three front And the fact that the like two of two of the main competitors for Best Picture came out the same weekend and everybody saw them is wild. It's and it's yeah. great. I, I I love that. I love Best Picture and I and I think it I think we got away for a while of like, oh well it was popular, so we can't give it Best Picture, which in turn makes people less interested in seeing Best Picture material, you know, when there is critical buzz. Yes. People are like, ah, you know, I'll watch it at home. But it's like, you know, it's like there can be best picture buzz and it can be a theatrical experience. And, yes. and I think I think it's a cycle where it's like if you if more if we stop this thinking of like, oh, well, that was like a theatrical experience. It's not the best picture of the year. Like then then no one's going to go see, you know. Yeah, I love I love Nomadland, love Nomadland. But it's like. You're you're not convincing people, you know, with Nomadland as your best picture, you're not convincing people to go see a best picture nominee in theaters. Yeah, it's a hard it's a hard debate because it's like it's like you, we don't want again. It's happened a few years ago. We're like, oh, let's have the most popular film of the year award, and it's like Zack Snyder's Justice League or whatever. Yeah, no, like, no, like like I, I don't want that. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying give it to popular movies. I'm saying yeah, yeah. M- make the idea that the best picture winner should be more popular. Yes. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's like, you know, make, make the best picture. Cause it used to be, you know, back in not back in our day, not that long ago, 
after something won best picture you put it back out in theaters yeah and then it made more money and that was part of the reason why you wanted to win best picture was you'd get like another theatrical run for yes, it you, you and then like, a bump yes yeah yeah so so what i'm saying is i want to get back to the days where people wanted to see all the best picture nominees in the theaters yes that's well, there's something to the and i also want get out like, to have won best picture yeah there's something to the idea of like how to put this of like you want to see your team win does that make sense? Like yeah. a movie yeah. you love, no, of you want to see team, you want to see win. It's weird mm. when it's like Charlotte Bobcats. Who are they? When the, like, <laughs> when, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like you have, it's not saying, I mean, not the diss like small market teams with NBA, but it's like, it's like seeing a team that doesn't have a fan base win win a championship wow like, michael jordan must have pulled a lot of strings to get uh, <laughs> my point my point it's, it, it's like it's like cool but there's something to lakers versus celtics you know what i mean like mm. there's something to that rivalry and maybe that's i'm I, maybe none of this makes any sense but i'm just like there is a thing of of putting something that because because then you have it talk about pol- politics and everything because then you have people who used to go see every movie that's now like, well, Hollywood doesn't know what I want. So I don't really care about what they put out there to, to win or whatever. Mm. And I'm not, cause that's the whole thing where like people are like, we're upset that parasite won because it's an international film. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just <laughs> saying sometimes there is a time where things line up again. Mad Max Fury road was kind of that as well, where, which that wasn't as big of a hit. I think it, it made more money than get out, but get out really took, took over the culture at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I see with this next year, this, this upcoming year is that do, it is the narrative going to be that you're going to have two movies that are, that people want to see when does that amp up your ratings is the thing. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at as a, as a pro as a, as a ABC for Oscars. Yeah. We don't usually talk about current events here, people, but we're doing it here um, because I see that as like, how do you build those gear? But also too. On a popular on a, on a studio standpoint, how do you make good films that you know people want to see that are actually like not based on IP? Is the thing <laughs> again? It's it's we could do a whole. We've done people do do shows on this. Go check out uh uh Matt Bellany's <laughs> podcast. Yeah. talk about current stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just it's you you want that to happen, and this was a year where you kind of had that sliding in there, the little movie that could that became a juggernaut. And is now, again, talking about this idea of a new class coming in, that year will be a key year that we look back on of a new class coming into the fold with yeah. Gerwig, with, uh, um, with Peel. Even if you want to talk about acting, that's when, t- that's calling by your name. That's when Timothy Chalamet all of a sudden pops off. You're, mm-hmm. you, and now you have lots of a dune and all that. You're seeing people, this kind of defining year. Nolan even takes over with Dunkirk that year in a way that I think catapults him more so than what he is now. Like Dunkirk separates him from what he was before with Dark Knight and everything, I feel like, um, and makes him more of this like uh, standalone filmmaker, if that makes sense. Anyway, yeah. Um, with all that, Jordan Peele has created his production company, Monkey Paw Productions, probably from all the money he made from Get Out. Um <laughs> Being as he was a writer, producer, and director of that movie, uh, based off the Blumhouse kind of model of how you make money off that film, uh, he has since done Us. He has since done Nope. 
and he is becoming one of the shining stars of the new directing class of filmmakers as we're talking about. But yeah. that leads me to Thomas to ask what worked about get out man, everything. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is the perfect go back and listen. Uh, two years ago we did horror comedies three years ago, maybe yes. Yes. For October. Three and years we, we talked, yeah. we talked about it over and over again is that horror and comedy go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you know how to write a good joke, you can make a good, horror scene if you mm-hmm. understand setup and punchline suspense and, and scare and this is this is a comedy master mm-hmm. becoming a horror master like in front yeah. of our eyes um and it is yeah it, it's just perfect in the way and and it mixes it, you know it's like sometimes some of those horror comedies we watch they were like all right here's punchline joke here's setup scare Mm-hmm. but here it's it's all like we were saying with the with the kind of the the exposition and the way he lays the stuff out it, it all serves each other and it's all building to this big joke re- reveal you know it it, yep. it is ultimately a a, a joke uh <laughs> but it's 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 a satire it's a comedy it's a dark comedy it's a horror it's it's everything yep. and he blends it together so well that um that yeah it's hard to I, I know a lot of people who would not consider this. If you were to say, if if we were doing horror comedy month and we had brought this up, people would be like, I don't, I don't know, like get out. And it's like, yeah, because it's really scary. Like a, a lot mm-hmm. of those horror comedies we talked about kind of back off on the scares a little bit to get a little bit of the comedy through. And, and he doesn't relent on like anything in this. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, um, Yeah. I agree with all that completely. Again, it's like you're seeing a direct. Again, you're seeing you're seeing an artist come out with a freshman album and just like knock it out of the park. Basically, yeah. is it fully formed? And um, from the from the like social issues topic of it, you know the the way he had been talking talking about it, uh, kind of his inspiration for it. It's 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 very hard to tackle. I think some people. Other people have, have kind of made things about this topic as well, kind of in the fallout of Get Out. But yeah. but, you know, it it's it's hard to communicate to people because it is exactly what you know, it, it, it's hard to get across to white audiences. Kind mm-hmm. of this idea of like microaggressions and everything, because that is precisely the idea of it is it's something that kind of a, a liberal white audience wouldn't think is offensive or, mm-hmm. or you know, they think they're saying the right thing or whatever. So it it's it's a it's a tough subject to tackle in the first place. Uh you know, generally if you're making a movie like this, it's just going to be guess who's coming dinner, or guess who with with Ashton Kutcher and Bernie Mac mm-hmm. or you know, just the, just this outright like oh, no, these 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 people don't get along. They're he probably going he's probably going to say something racist. Um <laughs> So, so to not only tackle this kind of, it's very tough to say like, I'm going to make this, this horror comedy that, that toes this line, but to also be like the line that you're towing to specifically, like he was saying, he, he specifically wanted to target like this audience and this specific, uh, inc- this, this specific experience mm-hmm. had, had never, I had never really been communicated well on the screen before, which is why he was passionate about making it. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think to to not only kind of blend these genres like we were saying, but to also address this topic in this way that is that is new and fresh is so impressive. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. Again, performances are amazing. I talked about the script. The script is just. It, it, I think it was listed by uh, was it WGA? Someone listed as like the best script so far of the 21st century. Mm. Um. And then visually, and that was yeah. that was the thing that got me with the teaser trailer. Was yeah. It was like directed by Jordan Peele, and I'm like, what am I watching right now? Yeah. Like, I, obviously, we'd never really seen him direct anything, but we were familiar with him through sketch comedy, which is like, yeah. uh, you know, we we, we just we were talking about it recently, like light the scene and, and keep it wide and let everybody kind of move around. And so, you know, even though he hadn't directed any of that we we were still like had this kind of visual style associated with jordan peele and so then yeah. it's like directed by jordan peele and it's it is yeah it's wild yeah i mean we talked about this uh, we had a comedy class uh at film school that, that he would he would use scenes from Kim Peele of like the idea of like step a scene and how you shoot it how you cut it and then reveal the joke at the end kind of thing mm-hmm. in a way where that's it's the twist at the end and i talk about the idea of mending blending horror and comedies the, the, the two genres that create an immediate response in some, or can create immediate response. If it's laughter or jumping or whatever, um, th- that's very key. And, and that's why kind of they go hand in hand in some way. So did anything not work? Hmm. Um, I mean, I will go, I, I will go on record here as saying I, I, have seen both endings and I prefer the, the ending that they went with. I think so like I. you said, it, com- it completely everything that all, all of kind of the emotional ride that you get from the original ending yep. is communicated as soon as those lights go off. Yep. So you get that experience of the ending plus, plus an additional kind of hurrah ending. So yeah. I like, you're not missing out on, you know, the reality of that message that he conveys with the, like you still get that stark reality, kind of that that sobering like you do. No, these these cops are never going to believe him moment. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're never going to believe him. Like he's he's he's, he's trapped again. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just hijacked the what doesn't work to talk about another thing that works. Um, I've got nothing. Like he said, man. I think I think this is like, I think this movie is like flawless. And yeah should have been the best is the best picture of that year is one of the best pictures of the decade um yeah there you go yeah I, that's I what think, i got I, I think too uh, we haven't talked much about you know, i'm also hijacking to what 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 worked we haven't talked about rail that much as rod because i think he's great like we don't like, mm-hmm. like, he's kind of that com- the comic relief that comes in and out a lot to to give us that like yo it, it, you're, you're again he's the observer like far away watching them be like yo this shit's crazy get out of there what are you doing what can let me help you get out so it's it's great um so yeah i don't have anything that didn't work really <laughs> i said earlier like when you watch it i think sometimes people might be turned off or like it can feel somewhat like traditional at first like it feels almost like stilted with how the, the mm. dialogue's kind of written but i think it all makes sense later on and it's it's almost kind of shocking how well ends up working in the end so yeah so film facts so uh jordan peele directed scenes in the movie while doing impersonations of tracy morgan forrest whitaker and barack obama (laughs) i just i want to see him doing the key scene talking as as tracy morgan (laughs) 
Like I, I would love seeing him try and direct Tracy Morgan uh, or direct uh, Brad Whitford and Tracy Morgan voice. <laughs> Jordan Peele made the sound when the deer hits the car, by the way. That's apparently his <laughs> his wow. voice. Um, I'm, I didn't mention this earlier, but but basically Whitford said that uh, uh, Peele said that he that he cast Whitford based off his performance in The West Wing because he love wanted that. a dis- he wanted a distinct white liberal feel to the oh, family. Yeah. I I love Bradley Whitford. Uh, I'm big Bradley Whitford guy. He's great. Um, for the for uh, Redbone by Donald Glover that mm-hmm. plays the beginning. That was like fresh out when they fresh put that in this movie. Out, legitimately. <laughs> It had just come out, I think, um, two months before, maybe. Because I feel like it just came out at the end of 2016 because that was an internship. And they're like, oh, Don Glover dropped a new album. And then February, it's in the damn movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Peel said he wanted the song because of its lyrics, including Stay Woke and Don't Close Your Eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting kind of like what you could say with a horror film in some way. In terms of legacy, I'll say several people have created classes about... Uh, based around this this uh, movie, uh, UCLA had a class called Sunken Place, Racism, Survival, and Black Car Aesthetic, uh, which Jordan Peele surprised uh, uh, students at to talk about um, horror and, and uh, black artists in, in the horror genre. You know, speaking uh, of, wait, I, I have this um, for like the for your, cons- for your consideration, like during the campaign for the mm-hmm. Oscar variety featured this like they, like they put together like an art book mm-hmm. of of artists like interpreting wait i still have it on a shelf i saved it it was i was flipping through it at work you know you used to see so many varieties end up in the yeah. every week just in the recycling bin um wait i gotta grab it it's right here on a bookshelf okay oh man this is i was like i can't throw this way it's just like just as now you're in the sunken place on the spine and it is just like wow that's amazing like paintings like all these different artists yeah it's it was wild and i just remember like picking it up it was with every issue of variety and i was like this is this yeah. is incredible for, like for, I can't. for for people who don't who don't live in la and don't see us but but the amount of stuff you get for for your consideration for those don't know it's kind of the season when people are pushing uh movies or shows yeah it's gorgeous um, push movies or shows to get voters to see the movie in hopes of voting in for awards. And people will give they'll put whole DVDs in there. They'll put whole DVDs. They'll do really cool box sets. Like I know Netflix for TV, they do like big box sets of all their shows. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll 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 release kind of like pamp like like kind of like 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 that of like booklets. Um, that will just supposed to be thrown away by the end of the year. Man, these are selling for twenty five dollars on eBay. Yeah, and you'll get scripts. I have scripts from people that that I've gotten like of like well done uh, scripts. So basically, studios will spend money to put the stuff out there, in hopes of getting more attention uh, on their films. And come into this year, end of the year is when you start seeing a bunch of them. You'll see parties and stuff. It's really just a big, uh, <laughs> it's really just a big student council uh, uh, vote election for people. Sometimes at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, so, okay, I did just read, I'm going to go through my film facts I found online. Jordan Peele did say he had 200 drafts of the script before it was made, which is wild. My last, I'll have this question for you, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Get Out was the sixth horror film nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Can you name the five other ones? Oh, man. Uh, Sixth Sense. That's one. 
Rosemary's Baby. That's not one. Oh, Rosemary. I, that's why I was just on my head. I just, somebody was just talking about it not being nominated. Okay. Um, Exorcist. Yep. Psycho. Nope. Not nominated for Best Picture. Um, let me give you the years. Or uh, Jaws. Jaws. Yep. There we go. You got three out. Three out of the other five. You're missing okay. a '90s one. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Correct. And that's the only one to actually win Best Picture, by the way. And also do the full suite. Yes. Or we well, yeah the only horror film yeah big five that uh it's it happened or it happened one night and one flew the cuckoo's nest, and the last one. I don't. I, it is horror. Technically, I would say it's a psychological horror, psychological thriller from. I'll say the 21st century. I will not say what decade. 21st century. Uh, 21st century. Yeah. 21st century. Okay. I already said six cents. Um, well, that's that's the 20th century. Oh yeah, that was the 90s. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> different century now man uh well let I me ask know. let me ask you this is 2010 what decade is 2010 is it 2010s or 2000s you know what i mean because people have like that's, very that's the that's the 2000s okay so this Isn't movie it? this came out in 2010 this movie came out in 2010 i don't know because like if i was 2020 would be in the in the 20s so so was, okay 2010 oh god what came out in 2010 yeah, I'm blanking. Black Swan. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we we we've talked about the uh his his him being classified as a horror filmmaker and uh go go and listen to our mother episode. Oh yeah, Aronofsky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Also, yeah. I'm not a fan of two critics who gave this negative review. That's all I'll say um was it was it was one of them uh armand yep Referring i saw a tweet the other day that was like man i can't wait for for to see his takes on um killers of the flower moon and uh oh man what else what else all, all the big ones we got we got some heavy hitters coming out this year yeah armand he's, got White. Some, he's got some big movies he gets to pan known known for panning movies that people love uh he referred to this movie as get whitey movie um staying reduces racial politics to trite horror comedy it's an obama movie for tarantino fans um, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh rex reed said uh, from a uh, new york observer mm. uh his his one of his worst films one of the worst films 2017 uh said i didn't care if all the black men are turned into robots thanks rex that's yeah i don't that's... know what to say about that i'm sorry for harping on the negative that's those are like the only two negative reviews. <laughs> Normally we, we hit the positive ones, but there are too many. There are too many positives. Uh, those are the two negative ones. Um, and then awards. Beatrice Strait Award actor actually scenes that kills it, Thomas. Um, it, there's a lot actually surprising for this movie. There's like two that popped in mind. Lakeith. Lakeith, yes. Stephen Root. Yep, those are my top two. Um, I would even throw in. Um. Uh, Betty, uh, Gabriel. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's that's what I was thinking. I, I was gonna say, do we nominate the grandparents? But I don't think the um, I don't think the guy really has an, enough. He has a good. He, on, he has a good running moment, and he has a good moment yeah. when he's like when he's like 
when he meets him for the first time, it's like she's a quite, she's quite a nice lady, or whatever he says. Um, to but yeah, yeah, Betty Grable has that great scene when she's like cracking. No, um, no, <laughs> gosh, Whew, uneasiness. Um, ooh, this is a tough one. I, I personally, I'm gonna go with Lakeith. Um, just because I love the, I love the the scene of him kind of switching. Uh, uh but I, i'm very I, open to steven root as well I, I think if you're talking about the importance of the movie i think steven root's great mm. great acting scene but if you're talking about you said that the transition of one version of character to another version of character done so quickly and that's like keith sanfield also became so i mean again it's that scene is the heart of the movie that whole mm-hmm. sequence right there is the key is, is a big key of this movie and without lakeith's performance it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It needs to set up everything that's going to happen afterwards to be like, oh yeah, this shit's crazy. He's got to get out of here. And, yeah. and Lakeith, how it goes from like, it's, it's the, it's when he, when he changes, when the flash happens and the way his face goes from like happy to like slowly, like trying to break through. It's mm-hmm. incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, we can also now make Keegan Michael key. Uh, as the NCA, he's an NCA prospect at one point. If you notice that she's looking at, I forgot that's in film facts. Um, no, I did not. Yeah. She's looking at the next person. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, all right. Any pot factor award winner, the supporting actor, actress that is most memorable. I mean, I think anybody in the family could go up for this, but uh, it's, it's Allison Williams. I agree. It's, it's the, the key scene. Like you said, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it shouldn't work. It should not. And and every time I go back and watch it, I'm like, how? I, and I distinctly remember being like, are they, I'm like they go back downstairs and I'm like, what are they going to do? Are they going to kill her too? Like, she's their family. And then it's like, no, she's in on it, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> she's great. I mean, again, a, a lot of great villains cast, but I yeah, she pulls off that transition incredibly well. And then we got the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. It's, it's it's Jordan Peele. Yeah. It's it's crazy to think that this was just a that this was just let me do math six years ago. Uh, yes. And that he's dropped two more movies since then, and and done the Twilight Zone reboot, and has just like built this entire brand for himself that is completely different from like mm-hmm. you could probably ask a teenager who's like really into film right now and they wouldn't even really know like key and peel you know they would know correct. jordan peel for for this correct i agree it, and it, yeah and has still del- continued to deliver like i remember when us was coming out and they were kind of, you know being very secretive with the with the advertisement of that as well. And just being like, you know, what, where do you go? If you're Jordan Peele, like, how do you follow this up? People are expecting something out of you. And Mm -hmm. the way that he has continued to like innovate, Mm -hmm. I think I, I, I loved us. I think some people found it disappointing. Um, but, but to then make Nope be this like tribute to like blockbusters and, and Spielberg and, and spectacle and, and everything that it was is, is um yeah the way that he's continued to kind of make like horror and and deliver what people are expecting but but also 
expand and, and yeah it's it's incredible the the brand that he's built for himself is amazing no i agree jordan peele sheen hatman mvp award winner and then finally final questions thomas you picked a specific decade you said 1960s right yeah yeah to, to go with the twilight zone-esque yeah vibe yeah, yeah, yeah. of jordan peele so well, you you already you already you said it a little bit but I would just love to see the cast of Guess, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in this movie. <laughs> I think it would be incredible. It absolutely works. It's not even like, it's not just that like, yes, this is a take on that, but like the cast in that movie <laughs> would work in this movie perfectly. I mean, yeah. Sidney Poitier as Chris. Um, Spencer Tracy as, as uh, the father. Um, Catherine Hepburn as the mom. Uh, Catherine... Hoyton as um as uh the daughter um who would you do for the son ooh, ooh, i didn't think about that who's who's young in this era let me see redford let me see let me see let's let me go the same year if you're, if you're in 67 who's Redford's like Redford, starting to do. Red, Redford is that is that period. Hoffman's that period. I think uh, Redford would be perfect in this role, like the 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 Ivy League son back for yeah, or uh, wild card, like mm-hmm. real wild card. Um, who's the guy who's uh, my, is it Michael J. Pollard? Who's in Bonnie and Clyde? Who's not the other guys? Look him up. He he he's maybe not he's not big enough, but he's like in terms of like stature. Mm. But oh, now he's yeah, Caleb yeah. Jones is the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. We watched him in something not too long ago for the podcast, didn't we? It wasn't one of these. Um, I don't have him down for something. He was in Dick Tracy. Oh, maybe I was looking him up because I watched House of a Thousand Corpses last year. Okay. Um, we we also got Redford. Redford also kind of fits here. Um, yeah, and Redford did a Redford had done a Twilight Zone not long before. Um, okay, let's do Redford then. Let's do Redford. Right. If, you had, if you had Twilight Zone, let's do Redford. Or we could do Elvis. Which one do you want? It's to a do? good. It's a good Twilight Zone. I like his. I like yeah. his Twilight Zone episode. Or you do Elvis where he does like karate. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you. I don't, I don't know if the colonel would let him be in this movie. <laughs> I'm tell you, Chris, you ain't gonna get out of hell. <laughs> okay, colonel, Robert, it's important. I gotta do this movie. No, Elvis, I don't think this is good for your image. <laughs> I love it again. Didn't have an accent. <laughs> he didn't really have an accent. Elvis, I don't want you to be the villain in this story. A villain. <laughs> Hey, it's a choice, and I I applaud the choice. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Um, okay, good cat. Sidney Portier, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Robert Redford, Catherine Hoyton. Really good cast. Um, <laughs> and then and then uh, Ed Wynn as Stephen Root's character. Um, <laughs> uh, does this? I film... love a little horror, Ed Wynn. That'd be great. <laughs> does this film fit with any other genres? Um, probably Burgess, other, other probably, than probably Burgess the, Meredith, I'm going back. Probably Burgess <laughs> Meredith. Yeah. Okay. That's something. Uh, I mean, Burl Ives would be terrifying, but uh, okay. Oh. Uh, 
That's good. Um, I mean, other other than social horror, obviously, it's like a horror. It's a horror comedy. It's yeah. a social satire. It's a black comedy. It's it's all those things. Um, yeah. It is also a, a meeting the parents movie. Uh, you know, it, it it fits into it. It plays on a lot of those ideas of that kind of like meet the parents. I feel out of place comedy. Um, mm-hmm. it, we'll make a nice nice little combo with with Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. Um, but yeah, I think it yeah it fits into a ton of comedies or it fits into a ton of genres because that's exactly what he's doing here he's trying Mm -hmm. to play with with all these different genres within comedy with all these different genres within horror Mm -hmm. and bringing them all together it's 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 within stepford and that yeah i don't really it's not like it's not pod people but it's like mind control it's it's still kind of like body snatching just this Mm -hmm. idea that that you know these people someone is going to take control. You're going to lose autonomy of your body. Someone's going to take control of you and, and, and all the people who are around you have already had that happen to them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it, he, he's someone, I guess, I guess I can see where maybe that Tarantino comment comes up. It, it, it does not feel like Tarantino at all, but Peel is obviously someone who knows film, who loves film, who knows genre and knows how to blend it. Well, yeah. And how to pull from other movies that he loves and wants to reference as a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this film fit within this kind of social horror genre we're talking about this month? I mean, I think it, it is, is definitely not the first film to do it, which we're going to see as yep. we kind of go back uh, throughout this month. But it definitely like revolutionized it. It, it made yeah. it hot. It made it commercially viable. It made it fashionable to wear your social influence on your sleeve as a horror film um it kind of gave birth to this movement of of elevated horror quote unquote being commercially viable um after we had gone through kind of a long era of of you know don't just just be hard just kill people just just Mm -hmm. show the murders and and yeah, as we go on in this month, we'll see that that social horror has been around for a long time. But but it for for a while it had, it had become like nobody's going to want to go see it if you yeah. kind of talk openly about what the real world relationship is. And yeah, after this movie came out, you're, I mean, you remember everybody started. Everybody was like, oh well, this movie is a horror movie, but it's about this. Yeah. Um, for yep. better or for worse, there were yep. some that were good, and there were some that were like way over the top. Yeah. Um, the, God, I can't remember. There was one that everyone just ripped into, um, about a woman who got like sent back in time, like to a An- antebellum. Yes. Yeah. And all yeah. the reviews were like, this is yeah. the worst thing to come out of like the Jordan Peele. <laughs> and that's, and that's the, the, again, talk about originator talk about car to replicate is that that movie came out six years. We're talking about this movie came out like six years ago and no one's really captured the essence of this movie again. Mm. Like it took them oh, years for that one. It wasn't like sometimes like, a movie comes in and it's just the timing's perfect and then like within six months or something else something something like it nothing has really captured what get out was like and if it tries to like it's you get those like shitty lifetime movies that like mm-hmm. tr- or, you know what i'm talking about like the 
the there was like one that came out it was like this is like a, it was like a white woman trying to go after like some people and everything like that. It was just like this feels very cheap and like it's trying to be a Jordan Peele mm-hmm. movie, but it has like seventy thousand dollars to be one. And I see that a lot, but nothing has ever captured. Not even Blum has been able to really do it with with Blumhouse. They've, no one's really kind of. And I'm not saying they're trying, but like no one's really ever captured that feeling of what it was like when this movie came out and the message it was trying to do. Um, tell you the only thing only thing to come close since then and probably uh, it's it's probably his own stuff i was gonna say lakeith stanfield was in it as well teddy perkins oh atlanta perkins episode of it i agree (laughs) i I agree agree with that i agree with that yes for sure and we're talking about movies that reference i there's a lot we just we just recently did seconds on here a few months ago i felt there's a lot of seconds in this movie in terms of oh yeah the the, the oh, side. I don't think we we ever brought it up, but you guys a, a listener reached out, yeah, and with yes. the Twilight Zone episode, yeah, Jerry, uh, yeah, let me see the Twilight episode that I was talking about in the seconds, which is also kind of applies to this one, although it's it's done as like I went back and rewatched it, and it's done as like kind of sweet. Uh-huh. Uh, it was it was like a Valentine's Day episode, like they aired it on Valentine's Day, and Rod Serling ends it with this like. For all of us soft-hearted people at, at Twilight Zone, this goes out to you guys. But it is about like old people purchasing bodies to put their brains into and like live their lives over again. And yeah. I know, I know that Jordan Peele saw that because he is, is a Twilight Zone nerd like me, and because then he went and made Us, which is directly based on my favorite Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Man, where where uh, my friend Jerry sent this to me? I'm trying to find the name the name of the Twilight Zone episode. Oh, it was I, I've I had it. Let me see Twilight Zone. The trade ends. Yeah. The trade ends. Thank you. Yeah. 1962 episode 96. Yep, that's what. It, yeah. He said they can they only afford one body transfer. The husband is suffering from his aging body. He's turned to a muscle man while his wife is still old and frail. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, there's a great scene where he like comes in and he's all young and he's like, look how young I am. And she's just like, I don't know this person. And yeah, he recognizes it on her face and ends up like going back into his old body. But so, yeah, yeah they play it off as one of one of the rare happy endings for, uh, Twilight, for Zone. Twilight Zone. <laughs> uh, well, that's the end of Get Out, Thomas. I, I didn't think we ever do it. I'm excited. I'm excited we got to. Um, it's one of my favorite films. Uh probably of all time honestly especially the past uh this this century as people were listening um but yeah but what are we talking about next week on the podcast thomas are, are we talking about it are we doing it you picked it Tom. <laughs> i've never all seen right. it i'm gonna risk it i'm gonna risk it <laughs> it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a bold follow-up to get out i will say yeah yeah it is <laughs> it is what it what is this, what, what uh, the, uh, Jordan uh, Peele wanted to avoid when he didn't want to set the film in Alabama. Correct. Uh, it is Herschel Gordon Lewis's 2000 Maniacs. Uh, it is um, Herschel Gordon Lewis, the, the godfather of gore, kind of the creator of film gore. In the 60s. Uh, you, may, mm-hmm. you may be familiar with the remake of it, 2001 Maniacs. But um, yeah, see if you can get your hands on it. See if you can watch it. Um, and we will discuss it next week. I, I have never seen it. Uh, I'm trusting Thomas. I'm kidding. Um, I haven't seen it in like three years. So it, it is. Cur- and this is no surprise. Where do you think it's streaming? It's streaming on one place. Shutter. Think- no, no. Think, think of Tubi. Tubi. Correct. Nice. 
When in doubt, it's probably on Tubi, is what I say. I streamed it on Criterion the first time I saw it, so... Well, tell them to get that, <laughs> shit. Tell them to get that shit back up there, then, if that's the case. Um, but that's next week. Uh, be sure to uh, uh, check out our Patreon. Uh, uh, David and I just did Elizabethtown to end our Stuck in a Small Town month. Thomas and I did a triple feature of Cars, 2-1 Food, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, and Doc Hollywood. But it's we have a five or a one dollar, five dollar, ten dollar kind of tiers. You get more exclusive content that helps us continue to do the show, and we just love talking about movies more and more every month. And that gives another outlet for that. So support us if you can, uh, and that kind of helps us again. Like I said, helps us out a little bit financially with the show, and we appreciate it so much. Um, but that's what we have in this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at sandwichpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments. And if you're a new listener to the show or a fan of the show, and for some reason you have not subscribed to us yet, be sure to do so to stay up to all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. I'd give Cinnation five stars three times if I could. <laughs> that might be my favorite one. Just legitimately, <laughs> might be my favorite one. Uh, that's a good tie-in. I love it. And finally, don't forget to line follow us on Facebook, Twitter, sorry, X, whatever, Instagram, Letterboxd. I'll never get it right. I will <laughs> never get it right. And TikTok. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.